What is up, DMV Hoopaholics? This is Matt Moderno. Thank you for joining us on the first ever Believe in DMV Hoops. Kind of a side project here. It'll be on the Believe in Wizards feed. So if you already follow that, you're great. If you just want to hear about, you know, things beyond the Wizards and basketball in sort of the district and surrounding area, then then this is the show for you. Uh, you can subscribe to just this feed and then pick and choose which ones you want to listen to. I think some weeks we'll try to talk about the other local college basketball teams. Like today's episode will be focused on the Maryland Terrapins. So if you care about Maryland, this is the one for you. We'll do some on Georgetown, some of the other schools that don't get a lot of love. Want to do some high school basketball, want to have some player interviews. I think there are so many cool basketball stories from our area. And I haven't personally found another podcast that just wants to highlight some of those unique ones. So maybe some week we can have an up and coming high school player in the area and bring him on or a coach or a college player from maybe a less promoted, you know, lower major school, something like that, just to hear about the different experiences playing basketball. And again, the goal here is to feature people from from the DMV. And I think there's a lot of, you know, conversation about what actually constitutes the DMV. Just before give me any grief for it, we're going to be kind of pretty lax about that. I think if someone is from Maryland, the state of Maryland, it counts. If they're from the state of Virginia, for our purposes, it will count. Not saying that uh, Baltimore is the DMV or vice versa. Like I, I know that's a big, uh, you know, hot topic for everybody. But for uh, for our purposes here, I think if uh, they're close enough uh, and they have a good story, it, it's worth hearing. So got a lot of guests in mind, got a lot of interviews, things like that. It should be really interesting, hopefully for you all. And love feedback. If there are stories that that you want to hear about or know about, like happy to take suggestions. Um, especially if you can make an intro to the person you want to hear from, that's even better. Makes my job a little easier, but. Again, here, the goal is just to tell fun basketball stories, especially, you know, to give us some content over the summer when the Wizards are not really as relevant. So uh, for those of you that are Wizards fans, uh, stick with us. Let us, you know, branch out a little bit, find our footing here on what we're going to do. Got a great one for you here today. I've got Jeff Ehrman of Inside Maryland Sports. Jeff is like the most knowledgeable person about Maryland Terrapins basketball that I know of, and I consume all of his content and just absolutely enjoy it. You can find him uh, in the episode description here. There'll be a link to his site as well. You can find him on social media. I'll have his Twitter handle on there if you're not already following him. But if you care about basketball in this area, it's it's definitely worth the follow because he's kind of got the scoop on all this stuff before anybody else. So I think we'll get into it here today. I just want to talk about this the sort of off season for Maryland so far and what they'll look like going into next year. And there's been a lot of moving and shaking. And I think some of this convo will be interesting for people beyond Maryland just talking about the transfer portal and NIL and things like this and how much it plays a a factor in these major college decisions right now. So uh, stay tuned. I think it should be really good. You know, the drill, as always, we're brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports from this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is your sports information headquarters this season, and we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL, Right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get all your sports betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games that you can play right from your home. Head to the website today to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe B L E A V to receive your fifty percent off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. All right, now that we got the formalities out of the way here, let's get right into the interview. Here again, this is Jeff Ehrman of Inside Maryland Sports, uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, especially. So. Uh, Hope you guys enjoy the convo. And please, for this one, definitely want feedback. We want to refine the format over time. And I want just to be like stuff that people want to hear about. So 
this is your opportunity to to impact the content you hear on the show. So uh, to reach out to me wherever, and uh, we'll uh, we'll make it happen as much as we can. All right, with that, let's bring on Jeff. All right, my pleasure to welcome on Jeff Ehrman. Jeff, thanks for coming here and uh, talking and being the first guest on our Believe in DMV Hoops pod. I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be the to break the ice with you, Matt. Yeah, it's um, it's just nice to be able to talk about something other than the Wizards, uh, who aren't particularly exciting <laughs> for the moment. And I'm I'm honestly really excited about the Terps, and and we'll get to why here in a couple of minutes. But first question I got for you: Which former Ma- uh, Maryland basketball player do you think your own basketball game most resembles? Well, I have to say Steve Francis because minus the dunking part, which is kind of a big, big uh, exception to make because I, you know, I went to school, high school with Steve and played a little bit with him. And, um, and, you know, so I have, I think I have kind of the the old school DC style crossover and that stuff in my game, because that's what I grew up with. Um, But minus the, you know, obviously explosive leaping, but if anybody saw me play, they definitely would not say Steve Francis. I've definitely gotten like a lot of JJ Berea and um, uh, what else? Just whoever, like if I right now, probably whatever be the version of TJ McConnell back then are the comparisons that I usually got. I'm a pass first point guard, which you kind of have to be at like about that. five nine. Yep. And there you go. So, um, so yeah, yeah, probably more one of those guys, but I would like to say Steve Francis, you know, uh, my ego would like to say that anyways. I'm not sure I can do the franchise justice even on eight foot hoop uh, at this point in my life. No. So um, uh, honestly, probably the most exciting Maryland basketball player that like nobody talks about when they talk about the top Maryland basketball players obviously didn't have the same success, but um, just super fun. I don't know. I, I love that. Yeah, I think the one, you know, the one year, one and done, that's why like when you compare players or when we do these lists and rankings and stuff, um, it's so hard because you, you're trying to compare like Steve Francis to like Terrence Morris yeah. who played four years, wasn't as dynamic, but was a great player in his own right. But I think the way that year ended also kind of, you know, dimmed a little bit of what he accomplished with that unceremonious loss to St. John's and the NCAA tournament kind of took some of the shine off, but still uh, when you bring him up, he's one of the guys, there's probably, you know, four or five guys that when you bring up, people really get that gleam in their eye and he yep. it would probably be him and and gravis vasquez juan dixon and len bias and maybe mellow trimble so uh he's still remembered pretty fondly by a lot of people but no i mean definitely i couldn't do him justice on eight feet either i'm just being you know delirious when i make that just because of personal preferences i love it man i'm all for it if as long as you got the, the steve francis attitude out there i think it uh i think it still counts right uh, there's another guy here, um, sort of in the smaller guard mold, but um, already making a name for himself after one year in a Terps uniform. Uh, Jameer Young decides to return. That's probably the first big off-season domino we heard about. And obviously, I heard about it first from your coverage. So so thanks for uh, breaking that one for me. I guess a lot of this seemed to be just him wanting to see what his options were potentially, maybe having the right NIL deals in place. Do you think it was ever a realistic possibility that Jameer would have ended up somewhere else this season? I think there were a few days down the stretch where it was a realistic possibility. I think 
you're right. He did feel like he might be able to get a more substantial NIL deal. And it seems like Maryland kind of took a hard line stance, somewhat of a take it or leave it mm-hmm. kind of uh, scenario. So I think there was a, there was a minute there where he was thinking about it. But for the most part, I think it was pretty safe bet that he wasn't going to go play anywhere else. But there were some schools that were interested and. But the way it goes now, when you combine the portal and NIL, you know, it's just, and the extra fifth year on top of that for these guys who played during COVID, uh, it's total free agency. So, you know, it was it was a slight possibility, but it would have been an upset for him to leave. I think one of the things that's so interesting about the freedom of movement here is just for guys like him that probably aren't NBA players, most likely, uh, at least long term NBA players for him, just. Even two years in a Terps uniform or closing out his career here sets him up to be, you know, a Maryland icon probably for the next 30 years of his life. Like he's going to be popular anytime he comes back to the school. I think they'll have reasonable success and, you know, no one will hold it against him like he transferred here from some other big power five school. He transferred up to this level. And I think that makes him, you know, somebody that that fans can kind of like really latch on to. Yeah, that's 100 percent true. And that was a big part of the pitch for him to stay and not go anywhere else is go somewhere else. You're just a one year rental who nobody really remembers that much. If you stay at Maryland, it's your hometown school with big things. And, you know, you'll be maybe not a legend, but you'll be loved locally for life. And uh, we actually did an interview with Harry Geller, who runs Maryland's Mm -hmm. NIL organization and that he laid out that that was the exact pitch that he gave him down the stretch. If anyone's interested in that, you can probably just Google Harry Geller uh, and Jameer Young and you'll find the video. But he he pretty much said that, you know, you have a chance to build a legacy here in your hometown. You go to Miami or wherever else, you know, that's probably that's not going to be the case. So that was a big part of the pitch. And uh, I think that was definitely something that resonated with him. Yeah, and it just it's at the very least he's a huge floor raiser for this team next year. Like you know, if you get Jameer back, you're you're a certain level of good, assuming he's similarly productive. And I think the same thing kind of applies to Dante Scott. He also came back as well. I think the most interesting thing I found about the Scott situation during your reporting was that I don't know, it almost seemed like they were kind of lukewarm on him coming back or not. It was like if you do, I guess we'll take you. There's a spot for you, but we're also not like dying to have you back. Is that did you get the sense that that's an off-court thing, like maybe temperament and chemistry? Is that an on-court stylistic fit with how Willard wants to play? A little bit of both? I was a little surprised, I guess, that they weren't kind of more adamant about keeping him. Well, privately, they might have been a little more adamant than it seemed, but I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think it was nearly the recruiting effort that there was for Jameer Young in comparison to bring him back. You know, I think... I don't know how much of he's not a he's not a problem off court. He's a different kind of guy, though. So okay. I'm sure there's a little bit involved with that. Um, you know, I think playing wise toward the end of the year, you know, he struggled, really struggled in the NCAA tournament against Alabama. I think he was 0 for 7 in that game, mm-hmm. struggled some other games later. So, you know, that might have dimmed their excitement a little bit. But at the same time, the fact that they're willing to let him take quite a while to make a decision uh, and, and leave leave that scholarship for him and be willing to welcome him back when he was kind of flip-flopping also speaks to the fact that they do value him. And, you know, it makes sense because when you, you know, in the portal, 
it's pretty hard to get guys, even with his flaws, it's pretty hard to get guys like Dante Scott who produced at his the level that he has. I mean, he's been a consistently one of their top scorers for his first three years of college. Uh, obviously, next year, you would really hope that his, his jumper comes back a little bit from where it was a couple years ago when he shot, I think it was 43% from three. And then last year it dipped quite a bit. So that's, you know, that's, if you, if you were to list the top five things that need to happen for next year to be a success, I think his, his jumper coming back would probably make the list. Even somewhere in between the two years, you know, production wise from, from three would be, would be huge, I think. And I'm hopeful that with these other guards coming in, that maybe that makes his life easier and gets him some easier shots. And I'm sure that's what they're banking on. To I guess the other piece of this too, the, the kind of third returner of note, Hakeem Hart decides to transfer to Villanova. That one was a little surprising to me. It just seems like he'll be another one of those sort of hybridy wing type guys in, in Villanova, and they've got five or six of them. So I guess that makes sense there. But if you're again another one of these guys that could be an established multi-year starter for Maryland, and you've got an unproven coach at Villanova. Like I, I was a little surprised for, for that jump specifically, I guess. And any more insight into why he left and why there? And it was surprising how quickly it happened. He clearly mm-hmm. had his mind made up as soon as the season ended. Gotcha. You know, you, uh, you know, there's some talk, maybe he already had gotten a deal done. You never know. I mean, Villanova quietly has a ton of NIL money. There's a few rich, very wealthy boosters who are very close with Jay Wright. And you know, we'll just write a check at the drop of a hat. So, you know, I think you can very safely assume that he's going to be making a lot more money there than he was at Maryland. Whether that was the final, you know, the, the biggest reason for the decision, I don't know. Obviously, he's from Philly, so it's also a chance to go home and and be play in front of family and friends for one year. And a lot, of, obviously, there's that appeals to almost anybody. So I think that was probably part of it too. I was a little surprised somewhat that it didn't seem like Willard really fought tooth and nail to keep him, but that might've been because he, you know, it was apparent that he was, had already made up his mind. So, you know, that was, um, that wasn't shocking, but it was a little surprising how quickly it happened and how, you know, he didn't seem to consider coming back at all. Of the guy, like of those three guys, to me, he was the one I sort of think most closely mirrors the type of guys it seems like Kevin Willard likes to and tries to get. So I, I was equally surprised, uh, like you just said, that that, that wasn't more of a priority. Um, the, the other kind of new addition here that I wasn't super familiar with, I watch a ton of WCC basketball just because I'm, I'm up late usually. I've seen LMU play. I couldn't really tell you a whole lot about new guard wing Chance Stevens, uh, but it seems like there's some excitement from them. Um, I guess, what are your realistic expectations for him this year? Do you, do you think this is a guy that can come in and, and potentially be a, a fringe starter? Is he seventh, eighth man? Like, I guess how excited about Stevens should we be? I don't think he's a fringe starter right off the bat. They took him, viewing him, I think, as a guy who has a lot of long-term potential. So they're you know, to develop now with Ian Martinez leaving, you might he might get a bigger opportunity. You might hope for more out of him because quietly Martinez was the best three point shooter on the team last year. And it's a team that already was going to look a little bit light on three point shooting heading into next year, even before Martinez left. So I think that'll probably give him and also Jonathan Lamothe, the incoming freshman from Baltimore. Both those guys will see increased opportunities. And I might, I'm probably stealing a th- your thunder from one of your okay. next questions. 
in terms of Martinez, but um, you know, Stevens has got a he's got a very pretty stroke. I mean, when you watch him, very natural, quick release. He shot 46% from three as a high school senior. Obviously, high school is much different, but shooting 46% from three anywhere, as you know, is very high. Um, and he, you know, last year, I think something like 85% of his shots were from three. So he was, he's pretty much strictly a spot up guy. So long story short, I think he'll get a chance to show he can come off the bench and make a few threes, you know, in 10 or 15 minutes a game or whatever it is. But more realistically, I think uh, he's more of a down the road kind of guy in terms of making a big impact. When we were talking about doing this earlier in the week, one of the questions I had for you was any potential breakout guys. And the guy I was going to propose was Ian Martinez. I just thought this was going to be the year that this is the guy final. Like it seemed like last year things started to click a little bit more and maybe the production wasn't huge. But again, this is a Willardy kind of guy, really athletic. He can spread the floor a little bit. I I was just excited about him maybe being somebody that the challenges for a starting position or or at least you know, part-time starter, situational starter. And uh, I, that's the one that was most surprising to me, I think, of all the moves we'll talk about here is that he's choosing to leave because I, I thought he was slated to have a a pretty decent role coming in this year. And it sounded like from your reporting that the team was a little bit blindsided by this too, especially the timing of it. And any more that's developed in the last 24 hours on that? No, I mean, they, they were definitely blindsided though. They had usually, I would say 90% of the time, if a guy's going to transfer, the coaches have a pretty good idea, at least that he's considering it. This one came out of nowhere. It was the final day to enter the portal, so that's why it happened yesterday or happened that day, I should say. But, um, you know, I think he was looking for, you know, a starter kind of role, was still mm-hmm. likely to be the man energy guy off the bench. Yeah. You know, he saw them bring in these three freshman perimeter players and then Chance Stevens. And then also Jordan Geronimo from Indiana, who they think can play some at the three, um, which were, is where he would have gotten some of his minutes. And so I think, you know, like most guys, by the time you're a senior, you want to be a featured starting 30-minute-a-game guy. He knew that wasn't going to happen in Maryland. Now, why all of a sudden, you know, none of those things were new development. So I don't know why he waited this long. That's the question. Um, but you know, those are the reasons why and it's definitely a blow. I mean, he was their best. The bench was really thin last year, but he was their best player and, you know, shot 40% from three after shooting 28% the year before. So there's no question. It's a loss. I think one of the things that's maybe questioned about the big 10 and the big 10 style of play is just like the general athleticism, big 12 sec, more athletic leagues, typically Martinez. And, and you mentioned the addition of Jordan Geronimo, like it gave Maryland sort of a different look to some of these other Big Ten teams. I, I thought that was going to be, you know, maybe the thing that sets them apart going into this year's Big Ten season. And, and then plus his ability to space the floor, like they need the shooting around Reese. Uh, yeah, that one hurts to me. Like, honestly, I, I, I would have thought maybe he played more than some of these young guys early, just being a veteran. But I did also sort of forget that he transferred in from Utah in the first place and is as old as he actually is. So I guess that does make a little bit more sense there. Well, the other strange thing about it is he has to sit out a year now. You know, right. this new rule where second-time transfer are not immediately eligible. So he made the decision knowing also he has to sit out next year, which makes you think he probably had somewhere already in mind. Maybe he was talking. I mean, we all know there's no such thing as tampering. People, mm-hmm. Players are talking to recruiters at other schools all the time or, you know, 
they'll reach out to some, an AAU coach or some sort of intermediary. So the fact that he has to sit out, you would think it would be hard to do that, not knowing what kind of opportunity is out there for you. But they definitely lose, they lose some athleticism. He was good defensively too. So now, now you're really relying on those freshmen to be ready to help you immediately. I guess he can technically apply for a waiver, right? Um, I think a lot of I've heard some chatter that a lot of these guys are are listing mental health reasons as their as their condition on the waiver to to try to get immediate eligibility. I don't know if that's something Martinez will pursue, but I'm assuming whatever school takes him will try every avenue to get him in there oh, yeah. next year. Yeah, and with the NCA, who knows? You might as well just flip a coin, right? Yeah, it's, it's there's consistency to those kind of rulings, so. Nothing would be surprising. Uh, you mentioned the other transfer here, Jordan Geronimo. Again, I, I watched a decent amount of Indiana last year, especially the games against Maryland. I, you know, given the other two bigs that Indiana played, I don't think we got to see much of Geronimo other than some highlight reels since then that the very athletic six seven forward can maybe play anywhere three through five in, in some stretches potentially. Um, what else, I guess, should Terps fans expect from, from him next season? Yeah, I think... You know, the coaching, Maryland coaching staff felt like he was not utilized or developed as well at Indiana as he could have been. And that, you know, they see him as a a really good player, you know, much better than the stats would indicate. You know, obviously the athleticism is through the roof. He's like at 6'6", 6'7", 40-inch vertical, 7-foot wingspan. So that allows him to have versatility, you know. There's still a chance they could add another four or five. And if they do, you know, that would mean more of his minutes come at the three. That's the big question mark, I think, because they could use help at the three. Uh, but does he have that skill set? That's something he hasn't proven yet. They think he can. He's always thought he could. And I think that's a big part of why he chose Maryland. So he's going to get a shot to show he can do that. But also, like you said, he does have the length and athleticism to where he can play the four easily and, and maybe even play some five. If worst case scenario, he's more athletic, Patrick Emelian, I think that's um, an, all, maybe already an upgrade there just to have him come in off the bench, I would think. Uh, yeah, I think that's a safe, very safe bet as his floor is to be a more athletic Emelian. And Emelian was solid last year, but, you know, it was a guy who'd come from a low, you know what you're going to get out of guy. This guy has a little, not a, little, a lot more upside. Uh, which, yeah, I think becomes even more important with the Martinez move. I guess Martinez moving on should theoretically leave them with one open scholarship right now. Is that right? Yeah, they have one open scholarship. Uh, if I had to guess, well, it's not really a guess, but I think they'll most likely use it on a, a big, on a big mm -hmm. whether that's a four or five, we'll see. I don't think it's going to be like a superstar quality guy, probably more of a, someone who can give you some depth. Uh, which, you know, they already have a guy like that that is hoped to be like that in uh, Caleb Swanton Roger, but you have no idea what you're going to get from him. Braden Pierce, the seven-foot freshman coming in as a long-term project. He'll probably redshirt. So, you know, they still have a lot more guards than they have bigs. So even with Martinez leaving, just in terms of numbers-wise, it does make sense to take another front-court guy. Are there any names out there in the ether or at least guys they had talked about early in the process that might fit that bill that they could circle back on that you're aware of? No, no names yet. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it surfaces next week, most mm -hmm. likely who they're going after. Gotcha. Yeah. Probably need a little time to uh, regroup, assuming they weren't having to, to fill that kind of role. 
uh, I guess we've kind of buried the lead here a little bit. The biggest one, the 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 most, uh, I don't know, probably uh, interesting Maryland offseason topic in, in quite some time is the Hunter Dickinson news. I personally went through the range of emotions with this and like, do, do I want him back <laughs> like, or do I want him here? Do I not? How do I feel about it? I even subscribe to his not very good podcast, in my opinion, just looking for morsels of info. And, um, you know, it, it was just uh, it was just kind of a roller coaster for fans, I think. Um, I guess where's the coaching stat staff at after his decision uh, to to go to Kansas instead of them? Like it. Is this a blow to them? Were they super disappointed? Were they kind of expecting it? I guess what's what's the attitude like uh, from the the coaches afterwards? I think they're okay with it. I don't think they had any illusions that he was a lock or anything close to it. They felt like they they felt like they were in there. They felt like they had a chance, but you know they knew they were competing against some of the biggest blue bloods, including sure. Kansas, which also has a massive NIL offering. You know, from what I'm told. He got about $2 million for next year, and he wasn't going to get anywhere near that at Maryland. You know, I do believe, and fans will be very understandably skeptical about this statement because they've seen his act for these years. But I do think if all things were equal, he probably would have come to Maryland mm -hmm. uh, because of, you know, that he'd like the program because his high school coach, Mike Jones, is there and his high school teammate, Jameer Young. So. I think if NIL were, was equal, it would have been very, very close. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of money to turn down. They understood that. And, you know, I was told at one point that Willard told him, you know, when Dickinson told him how much money he was being offered elsewhere, Dick, Willard essentially told him, hey, I understand if you got to take that, go get it. You know, Maryland is not playing the NIL game on that level. And you've mentioned that I guess Willard doesn't want to get into these like full scale free agency, like bidding wars over players. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of that mindset from him? And and like, is it certain prospects they're willing to go a little bigger on or, or what their sort of overall approach to NIL is? His approach is using NIL more on player retention to make sure guys don't leave. Mm. And it is going out and winning these high stakes. Uh, you know, free agency battles like Dickinson. I mean, they wouldn't have even been involved in that one, obviously, unless there's an influence of circumstances with him, you know, being from the area and I'm supposedly wanting to go to Maryland and the Dematha connections and all. Otherwise, they really haven't gotten involved in many of those. Uh, it's just not, I don't, you know, it's a few things. A, Maryland is not one of these SEC schools where you have boosters who are willing to pay enormous amounts of, of money just to get a player with, no, no actual uh, tangible return for their money. Uh, and then also I think Willard wants guys who want to be there, you know, so. And the other thing I think, uh, which was maybe somewhat of an issue with Dickinson is it once you, once a, a guy, you give a guy $800,000 or whatever it is, then the other guys who are getting say a hundred thousand they're going to immediately come back and ask for more. And then you worry about chemistry issues and things like that. And he's also just more of an old school. He has more of an old school mindset. Mm -hmm. So you, you combine all those things. And that's not to say they're not, you know, that they're not participating in NIL and that they're star players being compensated well, but they're not into the massive bidding war thing. And I don't th think they, I don't know if they ever will be.
it's honestly kind of refreshing to hear as a fan. Like, I, I think it says that you have confidence in your ability to one, recruit good players, two, to keep them and and three, to develop them. So that's kind of closer to the old, like Gary Williams approach and mindset. And uh, I, I don't know, I think after the last couple of years of Turgeon, uh, you know, most Maryland fans are are happy to have kind of that throwback to the, to the previous regime a little bit. Um, just kind of quickly, I guess, is Gary pretty involved right now? Like we saw him early with Willard coming in. Did, did they lean on him for things or any of these pitches or, or like drumming up NIL money and things like that? I guess what's his role maybe in the program these days? I don't think he's very involved. He does do some fundraising. Has an, He does have an official position with the university right. for fundraising. He did as of a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't heard a lot on that lately. So I don't think he's heavily involved. He is friendly with Willard. They spend time together. You know, he offers advice and things like that. But otherwise, you know, I don't, he, he's not hovering over. I don't think he's, you know, it's not like a Jay Wright situation where like Jay Wright was on helping host the visit when Hunter Dickinson was there. And he's like basically uh, their GM, it sounds like, you know. Yeah, essentially he's their GM. And so it's nothing. And obviously he's only recently retired. He's a lot younger. So it makes more sense than it would with Gary. But no, Gary, he's not uh, he's not hands-on involved. A uh, couple other names that we've kind of mentioned here a little bit, just real quickly before I get you out of here. We've got Deshaun Harris-Smith coming in, Jamie Kaiser, Jonathan Lamoth, and you mentioned Braden Pierce, who's probably a likely redshirt. Maybe just quickly kind of give folks an expectation of, of those three guys and any of them that you think stand out above the three or or one of them that's more underrated than the rest. Yeah, Deshaun Harris-Smith is the, you know, he's the most highly touted of the three. He landed at number 25 in the final, our final rankings of, of uh, the senior class on 24-7 sports. So that's right in that, you know, bordering on that elite territory. I know Maryland's staff feels like he's even better than that. I mean, they think he's going to be an absolute star. Uh, Jamie Kaiser was also highly ranked. He ended up around number 60 had been a little higher earlier on, but had some injuries as a senior, hmm. six seven. Uh, actually, I should say why did so, so Harris Smith is about six five, super physical guard. You know, can probably play some point. At least that's what he's being groomed as. Um, can score, can do a little bit of everything. Just a winner. Very hard nosed, very athletic. Um, so one of the one of the best recruits Maryland's signed in recent years. Like so Kaiser seven small forward slash power forward. I think the question there is, you know, his athleticism, it's it's good, but is foot speed good enough to play a lot on the perimeter or will he have to become a, a four? Uh, but he's, you know, a really good shooter, also extremely tough and competitive. And then Jonathan Lamoth is the underrated guy. You know, he didn't land in the final top 150, but he did nothing but produce in high school. He's about 6'3", guard, also tough kid from Baltimore uh, made 16 threes in a game last year, which is obviously like that. You know, unheard of. Yeah. He can really pass too. So he's, he's the guy that they feel like is going to really uh, overachieve long-term. He just isn't as highly ranked because he doesn't have the physical stature of the other guys. One of the things I always kind of felt like under Turgeon was that they were more, it seemed like consumed by like where a guy fell in the rankings and like less so about fit and their kind of guys. Whereas like Willard seems like, I don't care what numbers next to that kid. We, we see more there and he seems to fit what we want to do. And, and again, I think that's also kind of a refreshing change of pace. 
Yeah, he definitely trusts his his eyes. You know, there's no question about that. People have questioned some of the players he took. Like Patrick Emelian last year, everybody thought that made no sense. A guy who, you know, put up pretty pedestrian numbers in his career at much lower levels. And he came in and was a pretty solid guy off the bench. So, you know, they feel like they, you know, they definitely, I don't think every coach looks at the rankings, I'm sure. Uh, but I don't think it influences how much interest they have in a player very much you know Willard is definitely on the high end of the spectrum in terms of confidence in his coaching and developmental abilities last one I got for you here just a quick update maybe on Derek Queen for anybody not familiar like 610 ish athletic big um gonna be class of 2024 I think uh one of my friends needed me to desperately ask about him so I, I gotta get this in here before we close out yeah, so Derek Queen, uh, he's the number two center in, in the 2024 class, number eight overall. You know, the last year there were some questions about whether that ranking might dip a little bit. And then this spring he's been he's been lights out, one of the best players in the country. It solidified his ranking, which is not necessarily what you want if you're Maryland, because then you have the Kansases and those other schools maybe yeah. pushing up on him and offering a lot of money. Uh, that said, Maryland's been in the lead for a long time. You know, barring that circumstance where somebody throws a huge bag at him and he can't say no to it, I think he's likely to still end up being a Terp, uh, which obviously would be huge for them. It's very rare that Maryland, you know, they recruit at a, at a decent level overall. They've had their share of those kind of guys. Jalen Smith was a five-star, mm. similar to Queen, grew up locally and always liked the idea of playing for Maryland. So you hope that that stays the case, but they typically haven't they don't get a lot of those five star you know diamond stone is the one exception really there and ranked almost exactly very similar to queen and you know didn't necessarily pan out so if you get if you get queen you hope it works out better but uh long story short i think that they're still in the driver's seat he's one of the few maryland recruits the last couple of years where i've actually gone to watch tape and then had like the holy shit moment so i'm i'm, I'm definitely uh holding out for that one jeff the last and most important question i got for you here where can people find your work and, and consume the, the great content and insight you put out? Thank you. Uh, they can check out InsideMBSports.com. We cover Terp sports and recruiting all day, every day. Lots of information you won't find anywhere else. And I'm on Twitter at Jeff underscore Ehrman, E-R-M-A-N-N. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it in the episode description, that'll all be there. So make sure to, to check it, subscribe, follow, all that stuff. So throw in some money to Turtle NIL while you're at it, and we'll have some more uh, big recruits to talk about. Jeff, thanks, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, if I can ever return the favor in any way, I'm, I'm here for you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. And uh, try to stay as upbeat as you can with a subject matter like the Wizards every day. I, I need the Terps to stay good just to, to balance me out here <laughs> as a human a little bit. So I, I think, we think we'll be in good shape here. All right, everybody, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're presented by betonline.ag, and we will catch you next time.